Hello and welcome to TGen Talks. I'm Mark Moran. Seven years ago, in an effort to understand how one's DNA determines how the brain works in healthy individuals, TGen launched MindCrowd, the first of its kind web-based memory study designed to analyze the influence of our genetic makeup on memory. Researchers are using MindCrowd data to understand how genetics influences memory as we age and how we develop brain disorders that affect memory, such as Alzheimer's disease. MindCrowd is the largest memory research project of its kind, and to date, over 103,000 people have taken part in this unique research study. Joining us today is MindCrowd creator and researcher, Dr. Matthew Huntelman, a professor in TGen's Neurogenomics Division and head of its Neurobehavioral Research Unit. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Tell us about MindCrowd. What's it all about? Well, MindCrowd is our web-based study of the brain. And the goal here really is to create a group of people who are interested in research, learning about themselves a little bit, but also help us understand how the brain works and how our individual differences might change how our brain works. Is it an individual test for Alzheimer's per se? No, this is, this is not designed to tell anyone about their risk for Alzheimer's disease. That requires a much more detailed clinical examination with a doctor face-to-face. -face. Uh, rather, this is helping us understand how the brain works in healthy people, but also understand how we might be able to change how that works. Who can do it? Who can participate? Anyone over age 18 can be part of our study, and we are actually looking for all those individuals, uh, as old as you want to be, as young as you want to be, as long as you're over 18, we're very interested in having you join our study. How long does it take? Less than 10 minutes. Oh, so okay. uh, you can be in and out, and it's, we really think it's a lot of fun. PC-based, no smartphone app at this point, correct? Yeah, that's right. It's currently not available through, the, through a, a smartphone app, but that's one of the things we're thinking about for the future. What's a test taker expect when they sit down to take Minecraft? Well, the first thing that we ask is you answer a few questions about your brain, some uh, information that is uh, pretty basic, your age, your sex, and uh, then you take a few tests for us. The first test is a visual reaction time test. You're shown an image on the screen and you're asked to respond to that image as quickly as possible. And then the next test is a memory test where we show you pairs of words and ask you to remember them for us. Then we ask you a few more questions and you're finished. Uh, the average person really spends about six minutes with us on the site. Without giving it away, can you give me some specifics of what it looks like? What kind of colors we're looking at? Are we looking at shapes? Are we just uh, doing word association? What's, what's it feel like to take it? Yeah, the, the first test is a pink colored sphere. So it's a three-dimensional ball that you have to react to as soon as you see it. Pretty straightforward test, but I really like it because there's no strategy involved. We're truly testing how quickly you can react to this sphere on the, on the screen. The second test is a word pair association. So we give you uh, two word pairs that you wouldn't normally associate in everyday life. For example, we don't ask you to do yellow and taxi. Most of us already have that association in our brain. But we give you two other nouns that you have to associate with each other and remember for three rounds. So far, 103,000 people roughly have taken this. Do you see any trends yet? What are you learning? Oh, we're, we're learning a lot actually because uh, most studies aren't able to actually test, for example, the entire aging spectrum in one single study. Oftentimes it requires 
uh, researchers looking at 20-year-olds and then the same researchers taking their test to 60-year-olds. In this case, we're studying the entire aging spectrum all at once. So uh, we've, we've learned a lot of things. Uh, probably one of the most interesting things I'm thinking about right now is this effect of smoking in females. So it happens to be that if you are a female smoker, you perform worse on the memory test than if you were a non-smoker. And interestingly enough, in males, there's absolutely no effect of smoking on their performance. So this is a lifestyle choice that seems to have a sex-specific effect on your memory. Wow. Any ideas why yet? We, we don't know yet, but uh, we believe it's because some of the chemicals in tobacco can negatively interact with estrogens. And we know that estrogens are really important in women for, uh, for brain function. And so uh, if you're counteracting the effect of those estrogens, maybe you're hurting your cognition a little bit. Wow, very interesting stuff. What's next? Well, uh, we really want to change this cohort into a what's called a longitudinal cohort. So we want to start to study our test takers across time. We think that's probably one of the most interesting questions out there. How does your performance, how does your brain change with time, and what might modify how your brain changes with time? Because all of us are really interested in that, right? We don't care about how we perform at one particular point. We want to know if we're declining or if we're improving or if we're at least maintaining because that's really what we care about. So we are now starting a new phase of this study that's going to go across time and ask our test takers to check in with us every now and then, every couple months, every year, and do additional tests across time. How many people are you eventually looking to study? You're at 103,000 now. Yeah, our ultimate goal still is 1 million people. Uh, so we believe this is really important because of all the variability that we see in the human population. We are a very diverse species, and so we have to study a big group of us to really have clear answers. And uh, this, is th this is the number that we would like to get to, 1 million. And with the population sample of that size, what kind of power does that give you in understanding trends like the effect of smoking on women's estrogen? I think oftentimes we think about study size and science, and we're focused on finding what we call the main effect. For example, uh, what's the effect of the very first variable that we study? Uh, in the case of sex and smoking, we might say, okay, are we powered to find the differences in sex, the difference between men and women? Then the question comes, well, can we find things that modify that or alter that? And that's where your statistical power really requires a big, big group, study group. And oftentimes, most scientific studies are not powered to detect that next step. And really, if you think about it, that next step is what we care about. So for example, if I find out that sex has an influence on test performance, let's say that women perform better than men, okay, well, I can't control that. Uh, that I'm born with my sex. Um, but I, I can control other lifestyle factors that might modify that. And just keeping with the smoking example, I can control if I'm a smoker or not. I can, I can choose to quit or not. So being able to find those modifiers 
is really the importance of a big study. And that's why we're shooting for these big numbers. Any other large kind of high profile things in addition to smoking? Uh, probably the thing that was most surprising to us was this effect of Alzheimer's disease family history. What we found is that if you had a family history of Alzheimer's disease, and we define that as evidence of Alzheimer's disease or an Alzheimer's disease diagnosis in your mother, father, or in one of your siblings, uh, those individuals actually perform worse on this test compared to their peers who do not have an Alzheimer's disease family history. That was very striking to us because we even see this effect in young individuals, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, and 40-year-olds. Why was it striking? Uh, to me, as a layperson, would seem logical. Yeah, well, it's because we, we just, this, just this presence of a family history, we wouldn't predict scientifically that these individuals would be any worse on a brain test when they're healthy in their 20s, 40s, uh, 20s, 30s, and 40s. That was surprising to us because these folks are not demented. They don't have Alzheimer's disease. They're several decades before the onset of Alzheimer's disease. But you're seeing potential precursors even at, in their 20s? Yeah, that's right. So we're seeing changes in their brain in their 20s. At least that's what our test is suggesting. Maybe we don't want to take the test after all. <laughs> <laughs> well, people are very nervous when it comes to brain tests. But what I want folks to realize is that being a part of this is actually really powerful for us on the research side. And additionally, it really is not designed to tell you anything about your future. Uh, we're not trying to do that. And in fact, with this one single test, we cannot do that. So I, I do understand that it is a little bit scary when you say, well, I'm going to take a brain test. But uh, I hope folks can sort of approach this as uh, something that's a little bit fun. I'm going to learn a little bit about my brain, but also uh, I'm going to help really advance science a little bit. It's mindcrowd.org. Dr. Matthew Hunnelman, thanks for being here today. Thanks, Mark. Dr. Hunnelman is a professor in TGen's Neurogenomics Division and head of its Neurobehavioral Research Unit. Mindcrowd is open to people age 18 or older. For more information or to take the test, visit mindcrowd.org. Thanks for listening to TGen Talks. I'm Mark Moran.